Hey gang, welcome to episode 226 of the No Persinium podcast, the voice of everything immersive. I'm your host, Noah Nelson, coming to you from the No Pro studio, aka the kitchen table, here in Los Angeles. This week on the show, we have Lola Kelly, director of the Crimson Cabaret, which just opened last night here in LA. I caught the show. It is a charming AF. Uh, more on that in uh, a little bit here. Uh, before we we dig into the show setup, I want to uh, billboard some stuff for you, namely the Here Summit, which is coming up in Pasadena March 27th through 29th. You'd think I know these dates off the top of my head. I do. I just sometimes I take a reset. March 27th through 29th uh, in Pasadena, the Here Summit. This is uh, the extension of the work that uh, that we'd been doing uh, as part of the Immersive Design Summit for the past couple of years, uh, three days this time. And this week, not only did we uh, announce how badges are going to work, but uh, we've started to sneak peek on the programming. So if you head over to herefest.com right now, you'll see the layout. Uh, but you know what? I'm just going to tell you right now. Uh, from the world of virtual reality, we got uh, the folks from Tender Claws are going to come through. Uh, we've, we're, we're working on some special stuff with them for uh, attendees. Um, Pete Billington and Jessica Shamash from Fable Studio. They're the folks behind Wolves in the Walls and been doing a lot of work on virtual beings. They're going to be coming through. Uh, in the theater world, we've got uh, Charlie Miller, who's the Associate Artistic Director at the Denver Center for the Performing Arts, and he's the co-founder and curator of Off Center, who have been producing all kinds of work in Denver. Uh, in themed entertainment, uh, Jeff and Andy Crocker of Mr. and Mischief. They're the folks behind Escape from Godot. Uh, music festivals are repping this year, which is really exciting. Nova Han, who is the creative director of Electric Forest Festival, she's coming through. Uh, so too are going to be uh, the Wild Optimists, Juliana Patel and Ariel Rubin, who aside from doing the Escape Room in a Box stuff, they've been working uh, in, inside of Electric Forest and in the music festival world as well. And in Escape Games, uh, we got to announce Luke and Madison Rhodes of Crossroads Escape Games are going to be... Uh, part of the presenting team. Um, this is just the sneak peek. This isn't even uh, like, I think it's less than 10% uh, of what we've got going on. So this is our opening hand. Uh, we've got a few more announcements uh, that we are working out the details on, but uh, there should be a few things before uh, next week when the badges start to go on sale. The first round of badges are going to be open to people who have attended Previous IDSs, uh, we've got about 100 badges uh, as part of a pre-sale that are only 500 bucks a, a throw because we want to, you know, try and keep things a bit reasonable uh, for folks who've been who've shown the loyalty to us of of coming to in the past and are coming into the new thing. And uh, then we'll be opening up in January. Uh, the the sales will be open for everybody, and the price is going to 600 bucks. Um, also, folks who have uh, applied to IDSs before but did not get in, they're also eligible for the pre-sale that is this month. Uh, 100 tickets are going to be available as part of the pre-sale. That starts on Monday. If you haven't registered yet, 
uh, do so now. Go over to herefest.com, uh, click on badges, click on the registration, and uh, that's there's also a button you can press, uh, and that will queue you up to get an application for a reduced ticket if that is something that you need. Uh, there are going to be 50 subsidized tickets, $200 a piece, and 50 full scholarships. Um, combination of need and merit is how we're determining that. Uh, we want to make sure that it's going to folks who really need it and who might not be able to uh, experience this thing otherwise. So, and with a limited stock, we aren't going to be able to uh, get everyone who wants to come um, at, at a reduced price. Just so you know, we do have sponsorship slots available, but as it's been in previous years, as we, as we head off into the beginning of this, uh, the full price tickets are what are subsidizing the other tickets. So just know that when you're paying a uh, full price, you're also helping other people because we've committed to those scholarships before we got a single dollar of sponsorship. Um, there are sponsorship levels where people can, um, you know, companies can sponsor people directly and will tell people, hey, your ticket was bought by so-and-so. There you go. Uh, if you're interested in any of that, contact me, Noah at herefest.com. But um, we in it now. Uh, we are we are in it now. Uh, and another fantastic logo. Uh, I'm super excited about this. Uh, Dino Nama, um, uh, who did the NoPro uh, logo, has designed this one for us as well. And I am pretty stoked about it. Um, <laughs> I get to, I, I get design nerdy. You should have heard our conversations. <laughs> kind of amazing um speaking of supporters because uh, uh, i was doing the sponsorship pitch a second ago uh we have uh, a whole bunch of new folks who've joined the patreon and i am so very grateful for that because y'all are paying my bills uh the only thing that's keeping me alive these days is is you that's real and here we go here's the latest folks artist magnet sean mannion Michael Masukawa, Lola Kelly. Oh, that's awkward. Uh, <laughs> it's Lola, Lola, Lola chipped in this month. Uh, Allison Scott. She did that after the interview. Okay. Uh, Allison Scott, Weston Gaylord, Laura Burkhart, Ben W., and John McAfee. Um, if I butchered anyone's name, of course, I'm sorry. And we've got a brand new sustaining backer, Jeremy Charles Hahn. Uh, thank you so much, Jeremy. Uh, it means a lot. Um, I know because I... I like texted him after I was like, like, hey, are you sure you want to do this? <laughs> Which is what I do with like everyone who does like gives it $50 level. I'm like, oh, ah, you sure? You know you're giving money to me. Um, and Ben Needham uh, uh, upped his pledge as well. So thank you, Ben, for that. Um, the sustaining backers of No Persinium are now Mark Baltazar, Jan Budman, Paul F., Lonnie Hansen, Ari Hurston, Sam Kinkin, Samuel Mystery, Sidney Guillory, and Jeremy Charles Hahn. Uh, oh, so many names. So many names. But your name uh, can get added to one of these lists if you go to patreon.com slash no persinium. Um, we, we, we don't ask people to come in at the $50 level. I mean, we, we, I mean technically we do, but uh, our dream is a thousand true fans, a thousand folks at $5 a month. Uh, that'll keep us uh, going in perpetuity. And uh, we've, we've got uh, over 600 folks to go before we get there, but um, every little bit helps and uh, spreading the word definitely helps. Uh, that's the biggest thing you can do. I mean, 
Uh, it is it is no joke, no comedy. Uh, uh, the, the the ratings and all that stuff on the podcast catchers, they, they matter. So um, it's not for me to say what you should do. But we all know that uh, there's only two ratings. There's one or there's or there's five. Nothing else matters. So, um, you know, if you like it, <laughs> you know what to do. If you don't like it, just don't, don't even bother. Uh, why log in? Uh, <laughs> that's that's how that works. All right. All right. I got to see the Crimson Cabaret last night, uh, which is the latest production from the Unmarked Door, who've been around for a couple of years here in L.A. And, um, you know, just just to just to 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 be to be blunt, um, I haven't been a big fan of what the Unmarked Door has done before. Um, But there was something about this project um, and uh, because Lola was directing it and I've I've seen Lola perform uh, and. Uh, just the, the subject matter and how long they took to bake it and that they brought in uh, Moonshine Experiential who had uh, done Dr. Hallard's Dream Study. Uh, there, there's, there was something about this mixture, right? There's something about the ingredients here that made me hopeful. Um, it wasn't that I was like repelled by what the Unmarked Door had done before. I just, I just wasn't, you know, sucked in by it. I wasn't, wasn't, didn't, didn't fully flower. That's, I say that as, as, as setting the table here. I really enjoyed myself last night. Uh, it was a fun show. Um, I'm going to do the review on it. Uh, that's coming up on Monday. Uh, of course I have notes. Uh, but, um, even without the notes, which, which for the most part is just, I think that there's, there's so much going on that I think they could like slim some stuff down in order to make it a little more navigable, but tonally, and just so like the songs and the dancing and the and the tone and just the, the quality of the actors and the quality of the writing and the atmosphere that they, they developed and just like that that feeling at points that you were kind of, you know, you're in a Casablanca ish situation, sort of, you know, scoping everybody out and seeing what was going on and having little conversations and and, um, you know, trying to navigate your way through this 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 world. And, and some really fun set pieces. Um, I'm just, I'm super happy this show exists. I'm, I'm excited for folks to check it out. I'm excited. I'm hoping that, you know, it does well enough that they decide to um, keep on with it and, you know, look at a few things and you know, maybe, maybe find some ways to like make it even, make it even better. But this is, this is a real, this is, I'm so happy um, for the unmarked door with this because I think, I think they've got a, they've got a hit on their hands and um, I, I, I want to see them develop in this style even more. Um, so congratulations to Rolf. Congratulations to Shannon and to Lola. Uh, you guys did it. And uh, I'm, I'm, and to Laura and Anna, uh, Anna, well, boy, you know me, I just me butchering names this is what I do. Um, uh, yeah. Congratulations, everybody you made a really fun show. And right now in 2019, that is what, uh, at least personally, I needed the most is a really fun show. Okay. Um, that, that's, that's, uh, that's leading into this conversation with Lola Kelly, who directed the show. Uh, first met Lola, uh, in character, uh, on a show a couple of years back. She's been on the show before with, with other folks. Um, 
And uh, and she started working with Umrock Door a couple of years ago. And uh, Lola's just a Lola's a fantastic a fantastic soul uh, and spirit. And uh, I really dug this conversation that we had um, because you know we're both we're both drama kids and really interested in just what um, what this form can mean about uh, for people connecting. Um, and uh, and and like I say, like it, it really shows in uh, how she's cast the piece and uh what she manages to get out of out of people um because uh just it's i think that's i think you know what yeah that's what i'm gonna say that's what i'm gonna say about crimson cabaret so going back on that tip for a second um for it is the most lived in feeling opening night that i've seen in la there you go there's your poll quote put that on the back of the box oh we don't have boxes never mind let's do this interview Lola, thanks for stopping by today. Um, you've got you're directing a new show uh, coming up this December. I think by the time this airs, I think this might run before it airs. So awesome. wait, or this airs before it runs. <laughs> English fifth language after Shirook, uh, Ewok, Vol- Klingon, uh, and I've got about half uh, half a Vulcan in me. Very impressive. Um, <laughs> My linguist mother would be very proud. Oh, fantastic! Well, we might get into that. Um, <laughs> So tell me, tell us about Crimson Cabaret. Crimson Cabaret is set in 1963 West Berlin. So our guests will enter a world of espionage and uh, also just a rollicking bar that has a full cabaret and a lot of fun in it. And yeah, they, they get immersed into this world of fun and entertainment from the 60s, but also all of the mystery and espionage that was part of that time so this is a so this is so help me navigate here so yeah um is this a like a cabaret show that has like a a, a puzzle element woven through it or is is it is it uh an immersive show where people are like one in at a time like kind of passing through because there have been there have been a lot of productions in the past couple of years in la and some other spots where uh, there might be like uh, a cabaret show might be the focus. I'm thinking like in Boston, there's uh, Club Drosselmeyer, which happens every year, mm. which is uh, it's it's a riff on the Nutcracker, but it's set in like a swing dancing club in the 40s. And there's a bunch of puzzle stuff that happens because the people run it are like, you know, puzzle wizards. And then you think of something like Theater Macabre, uh, which was here a year ago, where people were kind of shepherding uh, a few at a time, and they came into like a cabaret sort of setup for a while. And there was a there was a vaudeville kind of theater macabre show going on, but there was also stuff kind of happening around it. So help us help us navigate here. Like what what are we in for? Like is right. this going to be like like uh, yeah yeah? <laughs> it's it's a bit of a blend of those things. Um, we do want to create the feeling of a, of this bar in the 1960s in West Berlin. So it, it does have a, at its center, it has a proscenium show. Um, it has a, a, sh- a play within a play, if you will. Um, and that is all a score that is original uh, by Rolf Kent, our uh, c- 
creator of the company and Mark Dorr. And it has a very 60s feel and all of, and it's theatrical, you know, it, it does feel like a cabaret. So Rolf and I talk a lot about how there are three types of people who go to immersive shows and we wanted to create an experience for all of them to choose from. So there are spectators who just like to watch and don't really love to be involved. There are those people. And I think sometimes those people get forgotten mm. a little bit. Um, and then there are spectators, which are people who kind of want to watch. And then they really, truly get engaged and they want to be involved and they want to move the story along and they want to play games and puzzles. And then there's also lurkers who kind of are an in, in between where they just sort of, they want to be in those rooms, but don't want to engage. So we tried to create an experience for all of those people where you enter into this bar and you can truly just spend the entire time at the bar and watch a cabaret and things will still happen in that bar. I don't want to give anything away. Um, things will go awry, but then there's all sorts of games and things afoot inside rooms around the bar that you can get into if you like. And it requires you to take a little initiative or are you having, or there's, there's people who might be recruiting you into doing that stuff. Like a bit of both. Okay, cool, uh, yeah. yeah. And that's something that I've been really enjoying directing with our actors is it's so when you're an immersive performer, I come from a performance background and part of it is just reading people and connecting with people and seeing what they want and having an intuitive hit on what they want. So there's a, pre-show where everyone's just hanging out at the bar and that is, is such a lovely time for everyone to get to know the space and each other and the actors to get to know the audience and get to know what their needs might be so in that time I've tried to train people to get a hit on what people might want to get into as far as adventure or just watching and yeah, I think those selections will be made on the day by the performers in character, of course. And then you might get pulled into side rooms if you feel more adventurous. And then some of it can be totally self-motivated. Yeah. Uh -huh. I, I like that idea of there being you know, that, that pre-show time or downtime's kind of like the wrong word, but it's what comes to mind. Sure. Just just like a, a warm-up period before mm. things really start, like an icebreaker. Yeah. Right? So a little, little icebreaker time, kind of, you know, trying the room out, you know, letting the, letting the performers, I mean, that, that in particular, this idea of like the performers kind of getting to pick, like they're, they're cruising around, they're looking like, who's going to be fun to play with right. tonight, right? And the guests can also pick themselves. I think if someone is really outgoing and really wants to engage with people, obviously that's oh, a, yeah. yeah, that's a clear indication yeah. for it? our performers and also you can drink booze yeah. at our bars. <laughs> so that will also be an icebreaker for people. <laughs> Some people may need to do one before they do the other. Yeah. Well, well, that idea though, like, I mean, you know, the people who are going to, like, sort of the structure you, you've given is similar to like, kind of like some of the, there's a couple of different ways of talking about those three types of, of people. And some folks talk about, um, you know, swimmers, waders, swimmers, and deep divers, right? Mm. That's, that's Michael too will talk about that. I think there's a couple other con constructs, but all in all, it usually comes down to kind of that. It's like, there's the people who maybe just want to get their feet lightly wet, mm. you know, but they don't really want to you know get into it. There's people who want to, who want to 
start, you know, kind of going with the current and going with the flow and seeing where, where it takes them and they're willing to say yes. And then there are those folks who are kind of want to jump into the driver's seat. It's like, no, when are we starting? Right. Totally. And, and those folks can often, those folks can often, uh, I, I'm conscious that it's all too easy for me to be that person. Like I think of when I did, uh, delusion, his crimson queen, which was mm-hmm. the, the vampire one a couple of years ago. Mm-hmm. And I was at a press and industry night and, uh, it was like the second group through and it was, it was like an over large group, but we were in there with press and, and none of the press people wanted to like dive in. Like the, the actors were begging, like someone stick their hand through this wall and everyone was like, Oh, I don't want to do it. And I was just utterly shocked that no one wanted to play to the point where like we got down into a vampire crypt at one point and we're clearly supposed to open up a, a coffin and who wouldn't want to in the middle of like a hammer film basically. <laughs> and everyone <laughs> wouldn't touch it. And I was the last person in the room and I was like, is anyone going to open that? Like we didn't want to break anything. And I just sighed and just said, can someone open this? Cause otherwise I was going to just like knock people out of the way and do everything. And it was actually getting frustrating that people weren't playing. So this, this idea of for the, the people who might be one of resisting, a little bit or the people who might be a little reluctant, you know, giving them someone to hook onto, but then also for the people who would kind of dive through and be like, Oh yeah, let me do everything. Making sure that they're not eating up all of the resources of the performers. So the performers can kind of take the time and be like this one over here. Right. It's almost, it's almost like being like a, a, a teacher in kindergarten. Yeah. <laughs> Sorry, everybody. I just made you to kindergartners. But there's a little bit of it's that true. of like drunk kindergartners. Drunk kindergartners. <laughs> and it's like, all right, that, ki- okay, that kid's going to be a problem. That, that kid's super eager. Okay. We, we got to keep them busy. This kid. Oh, I can tell they want to play, yeah. but they, but they don't want to give themselves permission to play yet. And I feel like those folks, mm, those right people there, are very important to they're, me. They're super important. Well, I think they're super important to like the whole field. Yeah. Right? Like if we, if we aren't doing the job, like the collective, we yeah. of, of getting those folks interested in this work, then. Whew, yeah. Lost. That yeah. is something that's very important to me in general and something that I've been trying to work on more. Um, because I think, all of us can be a bit guilty of being insular in in the immersive world or whatever our niche is, is we have these people who know the worlds, but I I really am interested in bringing people who don't know immersive in and creating an experience that is exciting and not alienating to them. Um, And where they can dip their toes in, wade, and then maybe deep dive, you know? And I think that the entertainment and sort of using just a familiar touchstone as a center is an exciting thing for me because I think it can be a little bit of a Trojan horse of like, here's this thing that you're totally familiar with and it's okay. This is just a bar, you know, come on in and just sit down and, oh, here's this kind of shy, disarming character who's not too much and oh maybe you'll have a drink with them and getting those people warm and welcome and then maybe getting them into this very new stuff is super exciting to me because I think about the first times that I saw immersive and it it's it, that's super exciting for me to think about but I I was also coming from like a really experimental background and I I had the bandwidth for it and I had the hunger for it but I think about people who have just been to proscenium shows and are very comfortable in that framework and get un- 
when you talk to them about some stuff, it's just so out of their comfort zone that. Yeah. Well, breaking like the idea of breaking the fourth wall should be shocking. Right. Right. Like we're used to the idea of a character addressing the audience. Like it's, it's rote, it's pat. The idea of someone stepping down into the audience and kind of reaching across, um, that should feel like this jolt from out of the blue. Mm-hmm. Um, when it feels too performative, right. it can, it can just be like, eh, whatever you're, you're acting at me. Mm-hmm. But when someone really kind of steps out and is just like, I, I, I need your help right now. Mm-hmm. Or, or just like, my God, your eyes. Mm-hmm. And like, you're like, Oh, you're seeing me. Oh crap. Right. Yeah. You know, that, that kind of shock, right. That kind of the, the moment of being you know, woken up out of, even if just for a moment, you know, can linger. And if there's an invitation to kind of come join the, come join I the mean, cabaret. I think you re- yes. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I think you really nailed the thing about being seen, the desire to be seen and how strong that is. I think even in proscenium shows, I think a lot of audiences go to the theater to feel seen, even if it's just seeing a version of themselves on stage. Mm. So if you can turn that up to 11, if you will, and literally have a performer see them and connect with them, that's just such a thrilling experience. And and yeah, the, the cabaret of it all, the, the musical of it all is such an interesting element to play with because you also have the component of uh, inviting people to dance, both metaphorically and literally, um, and to partner in this play. And I I hope that people feel really seen and have a lot of fun with that. I've been waiting for someone to crack the formula on a cabaret in immersive, in part because a few years ago, Someone invited me. It was, it's funny. Like, I don't think I'll tell all the details of the story, but <laughs> like, um, they invited me to go, they invited me as press to go see a cabaret show that they were doing based off Fleetwood Mac's rumors. Ooh, this sounds promising. Well, yeah, it sounded really promising. And I got super excited and, um, and so did, so did, uh, so did one of my exes, uh, who's still a dear friend. Uh, but at the time we were kind of doing like on again, off again stuff at, at moments. And she, and that album's a big thing for her. And I turned back to the people and I said, you know what? I don't know if this thing is immersive. Cause I was really skeptical. It's like, mm-hmm. will, will this be immersive? So I'm not going to take your press ticket, but I'll buy tickets. And so we turned it into, we turned it into a, a date night, you know, mm-hmm. it was like, Oh, something it was a date night. And I was like, okay, cool. Uh, and things were going really, really good until the show started and the show, like it wasn't immersive. It, it wasn't good. Mm. And it was a super bummer. And we, we like left after a couple of songs and we had dropped that whole night. We like dropped like a couple of hundred bucks on like dinner drinks, mm. the show. And we just like went around the corner to like a better bar and just like, you know, finished our night off there. Um, and it's, it, I mark it as like one of my absolute biggest like letdowns Aww. in like years uh, because all the pieces were there. You know, like if you, like you said, like if you tell me that you're going to do a, an immersive based off Fleetwood Mac's rumors, I'm like, please <laughs> like, and it took a long time before I could even like listen to the album again because they had like wrecked oh, a couple no. of songs. It was just like, oh, it, it, was just, it was just inert. Right. Um, and, 
And the funny thing is, is like, you know, this, I mean, LA's got a lot of good cabaret in it. Like yeah, a ton. it does. And we have those people in our cast. Nice. Um, I don't know which one you're, you're talking about, but Rockwell and Three of Clubs. And there's a lot of places around town that do fantastic cabaret. Yeah. And we this have was some... Not, this was not either. The, the venue's actually not even functioning anymore. So it wasn't, it wasn't, uh, but it felt like it was in the vein. Like when they pitched it to me, I was like, oh, at worst, this is going to be like... At, and by put quotes on worst, I was like, at worst, this is going to be an on the record show, mm-hmm. like an, like an off brand on the record show. And mm-hmm. that's going to be wonderful because those were fantastic. Yeah. Right. Uh, and it was not, it was not halfway to the quality of that. It wasn't a third of the way to the quality of that. Cause those shows are incredible. Mm. Yeah. 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 Um, it's funny. I'm like, I didn't come, I used to be like really not into musicals and cabaret. So directing this was a bit of a surprise for me. It's not, sorry, I don't want to misrepresent. It was just not my cup of tea. It wasn't like I hated them. Um, It was just like, I grew up, I was like a sad songs kid and Mm -hmm. like a punk kid. Mm -hmm. And I think like, ultimately I've been thinking a lot about music in general and why we pick music. And I think that, that music at the time did provide me joy in a, a sort of backwards way. Yeah. And now do since I've met Rolf Kent joy, just straight up joy from music is something that I've been really keenly aware of and in love with. I think that musicals have this incredible effect on people. If you let them, if you allow yourself the joy. I think that w- if you're a sad songs kid, like the truth is that you don't allow yourself a lot of joy. <laughs> like when you listen to music, like I think that there's a little bit of a, at least for me, maybe yeah. I, maybe I'm projecting my own baggage, but I feel like for me, because well, I know I'm a sad songs kid, so I'm just thinking about it. Right? Yeah, I feel mm. like I. It was a bit of like I don't deserve this joy, but mm. I, it was there was this veneer of judgment of it, like. I and I don't say that with any pride, but I do feel like there was this like, oh, that's cheesy or whatever, <laughs> you know, I, like. Oh, and but come on, some of it is cheesy. I mean, like some of it is cheesy. I mean, look, when you're when you're a theater, I feel like I feel like the rule, at least in the states, and mm-hmm. I know, like, I mean, you, you've spent part of your life in the states and part of your life in the UK, Ireland, Ireland, <laughs> very big difference. Ireland, yeah. Sorry, okay. I won't tell my mother you, you know, said I will, that. <laughs> Get it all jumbled up. It's been a minute. So. Sure, sure, but sure. I know, well, some, no, some, I did go to school in London, that's so that's right, fair. That's right. Okay. Yeah, I went Good. to RADA. Good. Yeah. Um, see, my memory's not entirely yeah, full of holes. Yeah, there you go. Yeah, yeah. Because um, I'm thinking specifically about your school and, and thinking about RADA and thinking about, uh, you know, as a theater student, in the, a theater student in the States, it always felt to me from high school through college that you were either a drama nerd or a musical kid. Right. And the two shall not <laughs> yes. mix. They are Absolutely. A, they are a warring tribe and yes. and there is there is blood to be had. And that and this was sort of laid down by my like first well, my second really influential theater teacher in high school, Roger Anderson, a uh, rest in peace, uh, mm. who basically said there are only two good musicals, West Side Story and Carousel. Mm. and like nothing else and those are like those are the only two musicals he would ever direct in a high school mm-hmm. and like it infuri- I directed Carousel actually in high school <laughs> <laughs> and it infuriated the parents uh because like the the high school was like the drama kids had one and the musical kids had one so like but he directed he directed West Side that first year and then like he basically like intimidated the principal never forced him to direct a musical ever again and it was kind of awesome so we were doing Moliere 
Mm. Right. So when, when the musical would have been happening, it was Moliere or Shakespeare. Mm. And then there was like, or something random he had pulled out of like his back pocket where like dark of the moon and, and, and just, just strange stuff that were like Mm -hmm. barely in the canon because that's who Roger was. Sure. Um, I had a similar upbringing in high school because I went to high school in the United States and I think that and that is just such a it is such a click there are drama kids and there's musical kids and I was never a musical kid and I I also work in a professional theater a lot that's almost like my day job Mm -hmm. and I do proscenium theater a lot so I think just over the last five years working in theater and getting to know musical actors who are also you know, I do straight plays with people who also do musicals. And there's just been this like, no, you haven't given it a chance. Like, listen to this, listen to this. And slowly, I feel like I've been, I'm also, I feel like as I've gotten older, I'm just more open-minded and less set in my ways. I'm like, okay, maybe I should like open my eyes to this thing that I just completely wrote off when I was 16. Yeah, (laughs) Um, I mean, there's definitely... There's a few musicals like I. I, I still, love cabaret. Yeah. Like, well, Foss, Fosse yeah. and Verdon's direction of cabaret. Yeah. I think it's beautifully dark and and just so poignant, and it works for me. Yeah, I mean, I've come to love. Um, you know, I, I even before before high school because they were showed it on PBS. Like, I loved Into the Woods, uh, but I love fairy tales. So that was an easy. Sure, yeah. That was an easy lift. I love cabaret. Uh, I dig Chicago. Um, like stuff that has stuff that isn't, you know, I, I even can tolerate hair like, but there's, there is sort of like a, a, a vein of like traditional American musical. Like there's a way certain musicals are like kind of a, a musical format that I've, have zero interest in. Like just like the way the songs are like, yeah. Um, I'm with you on that. Right. Uh, Did you see Oklahoma by any chance? Uh, Daniel Fish's Oklahoma on Broadway was one of my favorite plays that I saw last year. And um, it blew me away. And it was in many ways more immersive than most immersive theater I've seen in L.A. Hmm. Um, And How so? Well... A, well, there's chili and cornbread, <laughs> oh. and you get to eat it. Okay. And the while you're in the seats or beforehand or what? Are they just uh, it out in the middle of the show? Yeah, they're they're making chili on stage and cornbread on stage that you then get to eat um, at intermission or in the seats. In, at intermission, but then through the second act. So they're making it in the first act, and then, and then, you then get it intermission, and then you can bring it back into the. Yeah. Theater. Oh my God. It, and it's, Folks, it's that's how yeah. you integrate food into an immersive <laughs> show. Everyone who's trying and to like, the you know, smell, make canapes. like all of it, <gasps> the, like oh, it was wow. so multi-sensory and I felt like I was there, even though it's this, I love cornbread, it, so this it was so good. And it was so dark too, like this adaptation yeah, and what Oklahoma's he did with pretty, it. Oklahoma is pretty dark from what I understand. I yeah, haven't seen it, but I had only seen the 1960s film mm. and certainly like the dream sequence is, is like, bizarro I can't believe that 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 was made when it was made and it's it's really dark even the original but it, they really lean in, leaned into some of those choices and did a beautiful job with it and that it took my breath away and it really made me want to direct musicals <laughs> honestly and I'm so glad that Rolf gave me this opportunity to because it's just it's really a thrilling way to collaborate. And I feel like music just makes people feel things. And I think immersive work that we're trying to make people feel things very immediately. And if a song really has a, a feel to it, it makes you want to dance. It makes you just 
it, it has that catharsis shortcut. Yeah. And it's, his music in the show is really fabulous. And the singers are also fantastic. And it is just so, so great. So when, when we think about like the two big immersive touchstones being Sleep No More and Then She Fell, both of those are heavily driven by the music, mm. right? Mm-hmm. And there's, which is not something that in the LA scene we have a lot of, right? We don't have a lot of, you know, music driven shows mm-hmm. um, for whatever reason, right? Mm-hmm. I mean, it's, it's kind of funny, you know, each, each place where sort of immersive arises sort of tends to reflect the interest and the skills of, of the folks in that area. So a lot of the LA stuff has tended to be pretty cinematic, you know, pretty, pretty grounded in drama and character interaction, um, at its, at its height. And like when it, when that really works, it, it really works. Um, but the most you might have, like, you know, delusion tends to have a pretty good underscore, Mm -hmm. you know, as memory serves. Um, but it's not, it's not like a driving force. Yeah, whereas, it's an underscore. Yeah. yeah. Whereas you go through, you go through Sleep No More, and because that's a dance theater piece, the music's absolutely essential. Because right. if the music isn't interesting, the dancers don't have anything to perform off of. Right. But then also as you're moving through that space, you become aware of the fact that wherever the, the music, and if you're in a room and the music's a certain way, you know that something's either coming or just left, or that the room is dead. And it just speaks this other language. Yeah. Yeah. I just realized that I'm sort of presenting the show as a musical and that it isn't really a musical and it does have a lot of dark undertones. So it's certainly not a jazz hands musical. <laughs> so if people are you just, like looking. Sparkle for, Motion isn't showing up to the show. Well, whatever. It, this interview is If over. people are looking for like a really like. capital M musical (laughs) that is not our show Um, and even the lyrics and the feel of a lot of the songs that are in the cabaret it's it's a cabaret you know it's sexy it's more sultry it's more the lyrics are very dark at times that is more the feeling of it than you know a people just breaking into song for no reason and singing show tunes kind of thing and that's that's like I said, that's just one element that people get to watch. And we also have burlesque. We have an incredible burlesque performer. Um, so there's a lot of sultry, sexy stuff going on on stage. Why Why spies? Um, well, for me, it's more why the Cold War. Mm. Um, and Rolf and I, this is, this is Rolf's concept. So he had this idea a while ago and came to me with it, and we wrote it together. And... I was really excited by the Cold War just because there are so many elements to that time that I identify with. And the more I research it, the more I see parallels. You know, this is a time in which people were really living in fear of mass extinction Mm. because of human ego. Um, And for them, it could have been more immediate than what we're facing. And I think that we're all facing that, well, depending on your level of denial. Uh, (laughs) But the way that I heard people talk about the Cold War was something that I just, I got it, you know? And the dread, but also the the freedom that comes from looking at that dread, you know? There is a sort of like, 
you know, for lack of a better term, YOLO thing that oh. that happens. And, and the Cold War affected so much. I mean, the space race, obviously, but even like I wonder how much the sexual revolution was, was in influenced by the fact that people thought they could have died and at any minute, I, you know? You, you put that thought into my head by by equating the YOLO to, yeah. to the Cold War. I mean, I, if if you're living under a death sentence, uh, then if every night could be your last night on Earth, then of course you start to take crazier and crazier risks. Yeah. Not that, not that, you know, the sexual revolution was a crazy risk for, you know, well, no, yeah, it was, uh, (laughs) it it was, it was a good thing, but relative to the world it was entering into like a massive, massive, uh, uphill battle that we're still, I think it was just like what today was the, some, this week, um, they're getting closer to finally ratifying the ERA. Right, mm. which has been bouncing around for freaking ever. Yeah, so you know? wild. Um, I think it's going to pass. I think well, the, the House just re-ratified something, and now it's got a bump to the Senate. So it'll it'll get messed up because the Senate's messed up. But anyway, this is not a political talk show. Because <laughs> um, sometimes I wonder if it'd be better if it was. Um, anyway, and and the show isn't necessarily political, but there is this element of East versus West also, and Russians. Mm have intersected with our history again, um, with American history. So, so there is that element to it. And there is also the, the division that everyone felt back then mm. and how strong that was and how even that feels a bit silly at times and how there was, I mean, the cold war could have ended so many times if it weren't for human ego and just people being stubborn. And I just, I find all of that, that whole era is so fascinating to me. And obviously there's also just the mystery and intrigue and games of spies are very fun and it sets up games and puzzles very well. So we have all of that to play with. And our show, I would say, is sort of a blend between the La Carrée sort of darkness of those, I think that his novels, he, he's a big spy novelist and he deals with the human reality of being a spy and how devastating that can be. And then we also have the sort of fun and, and sometimes campiness of Goldfinger, you know, James Bond era stuff. Yeah. But not to give anything away, we have both sides represented I hope a little more evenly than those films would have um so yeah I there are we have a we have about four Russian cast members and that was really important to me um because I wanted to tell the story a little more evenly so it's characters or cast members both oh right um Uh, well no sorry not characters but cast members okay so some some Russian cast cast members are not playing Russians. Gotcha. gotcha. But when you're devising a piece like this, actors' input is so much a part of the process. So I've I've certainly been listening to them and what their take on all of this is. And that's been very interesting. Let's talk a bit about process. Um, yeah. So, and you mentioned devising. So how much of this is, was you and Rolf sitting down and, and, and banging out a script and how much of this was an iterative devising scenario? I would say... About 50-50, we had a storyline going in that we worked on together, um, and then we did a table read of it and changed a lot. I would say that at least half of it is completely different now, 
And that is influenced by also the space. That's always such a huge part of any immersive piece is you get inspired and sometimes hindered, but then again inspired by your space. And what do you mean this column can't be taken out? The building will fall? God damn it. There goes the third ass. So yeah, it's it's been quite a process. And God, this cast is so phenomenal. I, I want to just like sing their praises from the mountains. And we have Dasha Kittredge, we have Terrence LeClaire. So we have some immersive folks, but we also have some some people who have never done this before who are so good at it. I, I've been really impressed by uh, some of our real newcomers who just well, have let's, jumped in. Let's talk a bit about that because mm-hmm. I'm curious. What's it like to... Cause I mean, you've, you've been around the block a few times now with this stuff. What's it like to bring folks from like a film or TV or, you know, straight theater background and, and coax them into this space? How are you finding a common kind of arc to their entree into it? Or does each actor kind of present a unique challenge? Well, the casting process um, has been was really telling and I designed it to be as such it was just a, a playground essentially I, I made it not at all structured our show is far more structured than the audition was and that was absolutely by design because I wanted to see who was comfortable just jumping in and playing and having a good time and exploring and just taking on a character and running with it so they were given v- a character to play with, but that was pretty much it. They were kind of given missions, and then it was 15 people in a room creating the atmosphere of a bar, and it was super quick. I could see who was going to work and who wasn't, and those people leapt out at me. Mm-hmm. Um, and it was so it was very interesting to see how little that had to do with experience and how much it had to do with attitude and just a desire to play and have fun and engage and create. So there hasn't been a lot of challenges. I mean, there's always every time you're a director, it's you have to be a multilinguist because, you know, you're working with someone who's method, you're working with someone who's Meisner, you're working with someone with a clown background, you're working with and like you have to learn everybody's language mm. and that there's always that. But everyone has been really supportive of each other and in in a space of play together. So it's been great. Yeah. What's what's been whether it's inside the immersive world or out, what's been inspiring to you of late? Um, so I just saw, this is, I'm just going to say my knee-jerk response, but I saw Chernobyl. Um, I watched it. The HBO series. Yes. The Craig Magazine, yeah. And that was really inspiring to me. I think, like I was saying about presenting a complicated story and how you present it, being so important and how we represent each other being so important. Um, I, I liked the way it represented Russians. I think for kids, you know, I was, I grew up in the nineties and late, late eighties. So the way that Russians were represented and the way Chernobyl was represented was just so twisted. It's, you know, like it was like, Oh, those dumb Russians was basically the narrative that I was fed as a child. Um, so seeing that, and seeing how complicated it all was. Yeah, it was, it, it was, I mean, I still haven't seen the show because of how everyone says it's so depressing. And when it came out, 
I was in a headspace where I was like, I could yes, not handle fair. a major depressing show. Um, but like Craig's, Craig's a pretty, very smart screenwriter. So at yeah. some point I know I'm going to, and Jared Harris is a, a great actor. So I'm going to roll around to that at some point I know, but yeah, I mean, I remember it was sort of, it was kind of treated like the, the crowning achievement of the cold war, like here in the States, right? Like, sort of like, Oh yeah. Like look at what communism gets you. It yeah. gets you a nuclear meltdown. They lost, right? right? They just lost ignoring three mile Island. Right. You know, but, but, I was too young for Three Mile Island. Like, I think it happened while I was alive or maybe just before I was alive. So, like, it was in memory, but not, like, in memory, Mm -hmm. right? Like, this fear. And it was sort of this kind of just, you know, Nelson from The Simpsons, like, ha ha. (laughs) Like, they lost. They can't do nuclear power. We're America. We won. Right? Yeah. Um, You know, regardless of, like, wherever the fallout was going, it was going to mess everybody up. Um, I don't know why that one came to mind first because there's such a blend of I'm watching so many things at, at the same time oh, and and, and <laughs> I can't watch Chernobyl and then not watch something just really fun and yeah. that's just the way I work I like to go in waves um, but I, I rewatched Cabaret and that was I think that sh- that film is so it's such a beautiful blend of being just really f- fun and entertaining but also really dark and meaningful and challenging and it's so so brilliant and then you know as I said Oklahoma was a big sort of inspiration point for me and I saw the speakeasy I'm now I'm like blanking on what it was called the one in the mausoleum the oh, Johnny, uh, Johnny cycle, cycle. Yeah. that one really blew me away and it it really it's not like our show at all so it didn't inspire what I'm making now, but I thought its take on grief mm. was so stirring and I really related to it. And I think, you know, when you work, when you make immersive, you know how the sausage is made. So it's very hard to, to shut your brain off completely. But I did find myself really engaged in it and really just in that story. Yeah. So and that can be the absolute hardest thing, whether whether you're you're like if my critical brain can be shut off by a show mm. like i'm super excited by yeah. that prospect right if i can just lose myself in the moment um the only thing come I, to the cabaret yeah. <laughs> i hope we can do that to you it should be fun that's yeah. that's like ultimately what we want is yeah. to to allow for a space to come and have fun and you know they're they're like, I hope that there are some messages that people can walk away from of, you know, I don't want to lead those messages, so I won't say what they are. Yeah. But ultimately, it should be a really great, fun night out where you can shut your brain off a little bit and just play some games, listen to some great music, dance, run around if you want to, have a drink if you want to, and just have a good time, you know? And it's in the holidays, it's in November and December, and you know, the idea of creating this warm space that is a watering hole for people is something that we're really excited to do. You, you've worked with Unrocked Door before, mm-hmm. um, and, and there's been, the, the company's done a few shows now. How much of an evolution uh, do you feel like this is compared to, you know, the, the full arc of the company so far? And, and what lessons have you guys been drawing on from what you've what's been done before 
It's a huge evolution as far as production value. You know, we started off with a holiday pop-up, Heart of Winter, and that was really a, you know, it was really a joy workshop that was winter-themed, and it also had musical elements that, you know, there was also a a sing-song fun bit to it and the production value of our sets was great absolutely and we had a great venue so but it was a pop-up so not a full production and I think we learned a lot from even that about what audiences want to do and what some audiences don't like the games of it um I think some people were way into and other people weren't um so you learn from that sort of thing of allowing for those people to still have those games, but maybe creating another thing for the people who don't want to play those games. Um, And then we did the witnessing, which I directed, which was a very different kind of shows. It wasn't a musical at all, um, but it had a soundscape that was very intentional and part of the experience. So uh, that was more about spookiness and it was, it was immersive in that it was like walking into a lecture, yeah. but a lecture is only as, it's not very, you know, interactive. It was a bit interactive, but it wasn't, because of the format of the show, it wasn't as, you know, run around doing things. Yeah, um, it's still fairly, fairly presentational. Correct, right? yeah. yeah. And that's, and that, that the, the, the thing that's interesting about immersive is how, plastic the relationship can be between the audience and the performers to the point where I mean the line starts to blur right mm-hmm. you know like you know you know am I performing for you or are you performing for me are, are we performing at all anymore mm-hmm. or are we just like doing the thing mm-hmm. right which is where it gets gets exciting mm-hmm. yeah um and yeah, that was that was an interesting thing to observe with the audience and with Galen, especially one of the characters, because he has a sort of more backseat position. So with some performances, he was being, they were, the way that people would jump on his side, one of the character's sides, and sort of like really root for him audibly was interesting to observe. Um, and, And that was delightful. But I think I was craving doing something that allowed for even more of, of more engagement. Um, but I did love that show, I must say. Um, and then, uh, Rolf did this really fascinating, uh, just really simple, but pared down audio immersive experience. Um, that was a guided meditation that then had live surprise live elements. Mm. Um, and then, we did a little pop-up that was for a charity event called Time Travel Cabaret, and that was just a cabaret. Yeah. So it wasn't as immersive, but it was just to raise money for a lovely organization, A26. Uh, so, and then here we are making this big, huge production, uh, and we've been working towards this for a long time and learned a lot, a lot of lessons along the way as individuals and as a company. And I've done a few things. I also did this really bizarrely pared down but like very rewarding little piece for the Santa Monica Pier that was just me sharing secrets with people yeah I I I missed that when you did it which I was sad that I missed I only caught one of the there was like a week where they were doing or maybe it was like it was 
one it a week. It was a residency, yes, yeah. It was a residency, like one a week for like a, a month yeah. last year. Um, and Nagin yeah. put it together and Jacob Patterson at Think Tank. That was really, really delightful. But that was such an interesting experience as a creator because you can make such huge shows. And then I was like, should I just do this thing? Because I did you, which you came to, mm-hmm. which was this you know, $5,000 a ticket, completely bespoke performance. And there was obviously a lot of production value around it and a lot of money around it. And making the show was incredible. But I would say that since my character had this very intimate relationship with each audience member, I was able to really get a read on their experience. And I, I think I can say with great confidence that for everyone, everyone told me a secret they had never told anyone or at least they reported to. Yeah. And that was fascinating to me. I, 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 I kind of wondered why if like, if you're going to spend $5,000 on a ticket and you can choose to do anything, but what people really crave is to be seen, like yeah. going right back to what we were talking about earlier is, is to be heard and to be seen. So I just pared down that that experience to to just that and then provided it for people and it was amazing. People came and told like told me like some very very moving secrets and I shared my own secrets just to make it more equal. Yeah. No, I think I think that's a that's a that's a big thing right there. I mean, I'm thinking of like four things. One, there there are shows that like you know, straight up ask you, like, give me your secret. And like in this day and age, it's, it's kind of a fascinating thing because we're constantly sharing our secrets with these giant corporations mm. uh, who do not have our best interests <laughs> at heart and we know it. Mm-hmm. And we hope that they, that's that some of the people in them are ethical. We, we hope that the people inside these corporations are ethical enough and few are, are brave enough to, when push comes to shove, make sure the right things happen and, time and time again we are proven wrong mm-hmm. and yet we also think about we can think about the idea of the confessional which as mm-hmm. as you know um what, what do we call people who are non-malicious i don't know as someone who's as, as someone who's not either a practicing a, a catholic or episcopalian like i don't go i don't go to confessional right? right like it's not part of my normal practice and yet you understand um and i don't have like a well, not entirely true, but like I don't go to therapy like the way I, I might have when I was a, a teenager. Mm. Um, well, because I don't have the insurance to cover it anymore. <laughs> Did when I was a teenager. Um, God bless America. God bless America. <laughs> uh, well, they want you. They want. They want the church to provide the service. Because um, that's America. America. Anyway, said not a political <laughs> podcast, but like I said, maybe better if it was. Uh, everyone knows what I am, so it doesn't yeah. really matter. But but this idea of confessional, this idea of having an outlet to sure. do that right part of that like being seen thing mm-hmm. but like there's a weird way like whenever that whenever that's part of an element of the show like i you either either have to have someone who's very good at eliciting eliciting it you are right? I am. Like, it is like, a strange gift that i have people t- have always told me their secrets yeah um like maybe because i keep them like like you, as though I'm in the CIA. Right. <laughs> like well, I will go to my grave with these secrets. Yeah. Well, you have you have a vibe about you that just that just encourages someone to like trust, right? You oh, know? that's lovely to hear. Yeah. Um, and and th- those sorts of things are ineffable. But then, like, the shows will sometimes like you know structure it in, 
And sometimes I'll feel like, well, why, why are you asking me? That? Like mm-hmm. you're, you're asking me to buy in, but there's no trade off. Like, what am I getting? Not that, not that everything has to be transactional, mm-hmm. but that's the funny thing is like, if it's done, if it's done as a rote thing, like if, if the person asking me that doesn't feel like they're either trustworthy or have my best interest at heart or that they're going to do something interesting with it, then then sometimes I, I treat it as like a question of like, well, who do I want to be right now? And then if I'm really not catching the vibe, I'm just like, well, why would I, why would I tell you? Right. Right. Like what are, what are, there's, there's a, like, I feel like the, the inherent idea of that moment and, and maybe from this show without obviously divulging anyone's secrets, but you either want, you, you either want to confess that secret and at the base level, you want someone to just be like, I get it. Like I get it. Like just acceptance. You want acceptance and then past that, that, that little twinge of hope you want indulgence, right? Like first acceptance and then indulgence and the indulgence, you know, could either like be encouragement to go off and, and pursue, um, or, or something, some other way that it like it leads to one step closer to whatever need is being expressed mm-hmm. by the secret, because the secret ultimately expresses a need. Mm. Um, I think a need for freedom in most cases, mm. and what people carry is so it was so it was at times devastating, really that that these people had carried around the, I mean, there were some people who told me stuff that they'd been holding onto for 40 years. Mm. Uh, and I think that the sickness of secrets is something that I really explored and discovered in that show mm. and even my own, because I, I, I took sharing my own secrets very seriously because it was an exchange. And I think that's what differentiates it from a confessional or therapy yeah. is that, I needed to have that same level with people in order to make it feel good to them. And uh, seeing the weight lift off of people was really fascinating to me over and over again. Um, And I think it does tie into this show, obviously, The Sickness of Secrets. I, I mean, secrets were what fueled the Cold War and almost killed us all. If everyone had just had a chat, <laughs> we would have been fine. And if we work together, I think, and we sh- communicate with each other in a healthy way, we're all better, everybody. And rarely do secrets really serve us. Yeah. Um, Surveillance obviously is unhealthy, and that's not a you know healthy way well, of, well, of getting well, like that's that's, that's, that's problematic. Tra- yeah, I mean that's a tra- but, that's a trafficking in secrets. Right? Yeah, you know? um, and and using secrets as a weapon, and that's another thing with like the Cold War that I was like, oh, this is a parallel. Like, there's so many parallels to 1963 that it's really unnerving, frankly. Yeah. Um, but yeah, I, I feel like I got a little off topic. Sorry about your question, which is how have we evolved, and and now. I think we've just learned a lot of lessons and grow grown as artists individually along the way. And this production is really a, an amalgam of all of that growth. And there's a lot of elements in it. And it's been, when I set out to do this, if I'm being totally honest, I was a little nervous because it's, it's a hell of a show. It's very ambitious. There's a lot of layers to it, but 
everyone is just at the top of their game in every department. And it's, I mean, our set designer is fabulous and she's creating this world and our actors are fantastic. And we have a five piece band who are incredible. And Rolf is obviously an incredible composer. Savannah, one of our producers who also composed, she's Savannah Wheeler is an inc- she is just an inspiration because she's like one of those few people on earth who who's like right brain left brain mm. and can fully like produce a show and handle logistics and then just write a song <laughs> and like actually make a, an absolutely beautiful song and uh, she wears a lot of hats and wears them well um, so yeah we we've just grown enormously and learned a lot along the way and I think that we we have a hell of a show coming up. Well, that's good. Yeah. How, speaking of the hell of the show that's coming up, how do people find it? Uh, CrimsonCabaret.com. Fantastic. Yeah. Lola, we will do this again sometime. I'm I do sure. hope so. <laughs> Once again, I want to thank Lola Kelly for being our guest on the show, Crimson Cabaret. Uh, I recommend that you check it out because um, you know I I when I went there last night, I was I was in a decidedly grumpy mood. Uh, I had burned my thumb while making a grilled cheese sandwich. Uh, I had this toothache, just really bad one, like all day long uh, on a on a tooth that's had a root canal already. I don't know what's going on. It's it's. It's actually really distressing me. Um, and whenever anything's in period, I, I always I always stress over the outfit because I know I don't have the right stuff. And then it just it brings up all these kinds of like issues. So like I was walking into that just really feeling kind of like ill at ease. Um, I ran in, I ran into some folks right at the top. Uh, I ran into Kristen from from Creep. And uh, had a had a good conversation with her, uh, and everyone everyone was coming in, and you know there was there was a nice you know range of folks like going all out for it, and other folks kind of like you know half-assing it as I was uh, out of necessity, and um, but like once we walked in, um, gosh, it just it just it felt like you know sometimes you walk in and you go like oh hey man they 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 conjured it right you know they they evoked it uh, is there some pipe and drape action going on sure but it it doesn't actually detract um it 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 feels right and again the the performances are so strong and everyone is so just good at anchoring you into the world they've made um you know it, through a couple of different tonalities at that that you just you just enjoy being there um, I, I was just put at ease and I forgot about my toothache and forgot about my burned thumb. Um, I, I, for me, that was always a thing when acting. Um, if, if I was sufficiently in the world of the show while I was performing, whatever, one time, <laughs> tell a specific story. One time we were doing, uh, it was, uh, back in high school, a production of Moliere, uh, and I burned my hand on a hot glue gun. Uh, about an, about an hour before, maybe 15 minutes before going on, I had to like reattach something and I was like, oh, I'll do it myself uh, until I burned my hand and, uh, and it hurt. Burns, hand burns, they suck. Um, 
uh, having just re-experienced one last night. They, oh God, they, they, they just, they're, they're awful. Um, they're one of the suckier things you can, you can do, uh, to yourself. Um, and the, the weirdest thing though, like I would go on stage and I would complete, I couldn't even feel, I couldn't feel the burn. I would walk into the wings and the second I was in the wings, the burn was back. Um, so when I talk about immersion, when I talk about losing yourself in the world or, or more importantly, finding yourself, finding your other self in the world, I, I'm talking about it from literally a physiological, like psychophysiological mind body, like disconnect level. When I stepped on stage and I was Ogon, he had not burned his hand, so I did not feel it. And when I walked back off stage, Noah Nelson, high school student, had just burned his hand like the idiot that he was. <laughs> and he heard, he heard so bad. And yeah, last night at the cabaret, um, uh, no one else might have been injured, but uh, Lucien Volcourt uh, was, was not. Velocourt? Volcourt? I can't remember. I wrote a little thing down. They made you make up a name. Um, just, just charming. It's charming. It's 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 a little a little spot, a little industrial spot in Glendale, and then you walk in, and you're in this other world. So charming, um, so glad it exists. So happy to see a company uh, persist. Number one, right? Like keep on trying different things. This is the most this is the most interactive uh, piece they've they've ever done, right? Like uh, as as you know, we we talked about the other pieces. This is the most interactive piece they've done, and it also. I know they've been working on this for a while. I know they've been working on this for a while. And that amount of care and that amount of thought, it it's really showing. And there's there's a thing that happens in Los Angeles in particular, um, where people people kind of like get a, hey kids, let's put on a show and like race to put up stuff energy, right? And 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 so often um it it doesn't work. Right. And I and I know there's kind of some math here where you could spend months and years and uh, and developing something and completely fail to get it right. Spider-Man turn off the dark. Uh, you, you could do that. Right. Like that's that's entirely possible. Um, you can you can invest a lot of time and effort into a piece uh, and and it, it could not land with folks the way you want it to. I was about to name something that I love, uh, but. I won't, I won't dwell on that. Um, and then the show goes away. So there, there's, there's a higher risk the more time you spend. But I also feel that, and I think we can see that, you know, the less effort that's put into something, uh, the, the less likely it is to catch legs. And I know, trust me, I know that particularly in Los Angeles, uh, a long run is a hard thing to establish the city is not exactly uh, welcoming when it comes to finding a place to put roots down for a show. Um, this is this is a real problem, like a legitimate problem, and it's something that, as a collection of artists, it's hard for everyone to deal with because it requires you know lobbying the city. And trust me, when when we you know, we, we get the team together uh, over in the in the Leo world and trying to figure out what to do. And then we come up uh, with solutions and then we're told, well, you need $10,000 for a lobbyist. And you look around and like no one's got $10,000. Uh, so 
you, you, you find out things. Well, no one's got ten thousand dollars until we start trying to raise ten thousand dollars. So guess what we're doing in twenty twenty? Um, more on that on a different week. Uh, but I, I also talked to other artists from other disciplines or from related disciplines and they're having the same issues too when it comes to space right you know finding a home to work out of uh for artists is just as difficult as it is to find a home to live in 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 cities like this and uh i i i there there are moments when it you know it's very disheartening so it's it's extra special when you see a show pop up where people have put in the work, uh, where they've made the effort and taken the time to bake it. And, and again, right from the start on opening, uh, you feel like they've made a world. Uh, and, and most importantly, they've made a world through the dynamics of the characters to each other, right? You can feel the relationships, that, that kind of um, intricate, um, a, a little soapy, in a good way, uh, lines between everybody really feels like, um, like it's been there before you and that some part of it will carry on once you leave. Um, and for that, uh, I, I couldn't, I couldn't be happier. So again, congratulations to the team at the unmarked door, um, on, on making a really fun show and, uh, for, for doing something that, uh, folks often um, don't take the time to do around these parts, and um, and I think uh, I think we can see that it, that it pays off because of that. Um, and and take that everyone as just a, a, a reminder and a challenge to you know like bake your stuff. You know, take the time to develop it. Um, the more good stuff there is, the bigger the audience is going to get overall. And I saw a lot of people there last night. Saw a lot of people uh, I didn't know. And I'm hoping that we get even more and more folks uh, through that one uh, as the holiday season rolls on. Okay. All right. Um, other things in the world. Uh, uh, Adobe just acquired Oculus Medium, uh, which is the creative tool that Oculus uses. Um, what exactly that means? I haven't read the article yet. I just saw it popping through on my Twitter feed. Um, I mean, in some ways, it's great. I'm I'm kind of curious what the strategy is over at Oculus these days. Um, you know I'm I'm hyped on the Quest. Everyone also knows that like I'm I've got, got a hate tolerate relationship with Facebook, um, and yet I do have a, a love relationship uh, with with so much of what Oculus does from a hardware standpoint, from a software standpoint. Um, you know, uh, there's, there's there's other things, but like you know, let's you know, meh. Um, uh, there's there's also folks over there who are absolutely amazing um, corporations, man. They're they're complicated beasts, uh, but right now uh, Oculus really is the the shepherd of this whole virtual reality thing, at least on the at home side, and the Quest is, is doing really well and, and selling through. And I, I'm gonna I'm gonna interpret this whole Adobe taking over Medium uh, as a good thing because if if you've got, I mean, Adobe basically at this point is the company of creative tools. So, you know, uh, if something if something's taken on by them, then you can kind of say, well, that's that's legit. Um, what it means for Oculus as as a place that kind of pioneers uh, tools for VR, 
Um, I, I don't, I don't know. But again, they also just acquired the, uh, you know, beat games who make beat saber. Um, and so they're, they're making moves and they're structuring themselves. Uh, and it could also be one of those things where it's like, Hey, they made this piece of what is basically middleware and they spin it off and now they're off to go make the next thing. So, um, and just, just watching, watching the detectives, figuring out what's going on. Um, and hoping that all of this stuff just means that things are going from strength to strength uh, because the quest is having a really good season, uh, a really good season, both from content and from sales wise. Um, they're they they're going out of stock here and there. So keeping a close eye on that story as it develops. Um, again, we just released information about uh, Here Summit, uh, which I talked to you about at the top of the show. Um, we've gotten uh, a couple hundred registrations so far, uh, but there are definitely still spots. If you went to IDS uh, either of the previous years and you haven't registered yet uh, and you know you want to get a ticket, uh, register now because there's this like a like I think it's like a nine day window where folks who went to the IDSs are going to be able to get the five hundred dollar rate and then uh, after that uh, we dump we put some dump <laughs> we put some more tickets on sale and we open it up to folks who uh, have applied in the past right so seventy five tickets go on sale uh, badges go on sale next week for folks who. Uh, we're at IDS before, and then the following week, uh, whatever stock remains, if any stock remains, and an additional 25 badges are going to be put on sale, uh, and that is what's being sold this year, and all those are at $500 a piece, and then next year, right at the top of next year, I think January 6th, um, another wave of programming announcements, and we will uh, put the uh, remaining badges on sale for everyone, and it jumps up to $600 a throw. Um, that's also when word is going out on for uh, people who are trying to get subsidized or scholarship badges. And then uh, towards the end of January, once we've cleared through all that stock, there are going to be Saturday-only tickets. Uh, we're going to put another 100, 100 tickets up, uh, $200 uh, a piece for those. So basically, essentially it rolls down to the, it's $200 a day. Uh, another 200 tickets for those. And uh, Saturdays where we're going to pack in a lot of our keynotes. Um, and we, we want to kind of open the doors up as wide as possible, uh, and let people connect. And Saturday night will also be, uh, when our, our big social stuff is. So, uh, if that's, if that's your, 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 your big interest is making sure you get there for networking and, uh, to see like the big talks and meet some folks, uh, Saturday is going to be a good way to go, particularly if you're someone who's trying to get a subsidized ticket, uh, and, uh, you don't manage to get one as part of the 50, uh, there's going to be plenty going on. Uh, and naturally we're talking with folks about people putting on shows, uh, around it. Uh, we're talking with the playhouse about maybe standing a few things up during the summit. Uh, we're, we're working some stuff out. Uh, we have a lot of interesting conversations going on there. And, um, you know, uh, if we, if we had a big sponsor, this would be easy. So if anyone's, anyone's got a big sponsorship to sit in there, anyone's sitting on, you know, do five figures sound like nothing to you? Are you a billionaire listening to this show? Do you have a Bitcoin sitting around? Like even just one, just just one you, you don't mind losing? Let's talk. Uh, because uh, we're gonna we're gonna plug that right back into two things. One, making the summit the best that it can be, and two, um, making sure that NoPro and the Institute are sustained well into the future. 
this is just the first part of, uh, these are just the first steps. Uh, we've been at this for six years now, uh, or going on six years. And um, we're just, we're just going through that, that big, big push through. Speaking of which, uh, there's a phone call I got to get on to go talk about a totally different project uh, that we've been working on with somebody uh, that's related to all this uh, big push through. So, and that that's one that I really can't wait to, uh, sh- well, I can wait because I'm waiting for months. Uh, mostly my fault. Uh, <laughs> throwing anybody under the bus is, is a slow process because we're doing all this stuff on a volunteer basis. You know, when you don't have, you, right? Fast, good, cheap, pick two. Oh, we pick good and cheap pretty much every time. All right. Um, let's do the end of the show and let's listen to all these lovely new sustaining backers. The sustaining backers of No Persinium are Mark Baltazar, Jan Budman, Paul F., Lonnie Hanson, Ari Hurston, Sam Kinkin, Samuel Mustry, Sidney Guillory, and Jeremy Charles Hahn. The music for No Persinium is by Chris Porter of the Speakeasy Society. You can support No Persinium at patreon.com slash no persinium or just by hollering about us and sharing what we do, particularly the holiday gift guides, the Oculus guide, the picks of the week, and everything immersive this week are great things to share. You can find everything we do at nopersinium.com. Uh, you can uh, let us know about the shows you're putting on at pitches at nopersinium.com. I can be reached at noah at nopersinium.com. Uh, sometimes it takes a couple of days for me to get onto the email because there's a lot of it, um, and I don't love email. Um, yeah, that's it. Uh, I'm your host, Noah Nelson. And until next time, I'll see you at the show.